Eyewitness News. Be there as it happens. City News. It's 17.30 GMT. This is Eyewitness News on 97.3 CTFM. I am Umaru Sanda Amadu. Tonight, I'm here with... Akosia Otre. Akosia Otre. And coming up, over the next 90 minutes, seven people feared dead in the Savannah region following intercommunal clashes. We'll be getting the full details for you here shortly on Eyewitness News. Also coming up... University of Education Winneba staff against the board chair. They want him removed. They've catalogued a number of issues. We'll be sharing them with you, plus a possible reaction uh, from the board chair. And later on Eyewitness News, we take you to Asin North, uh, the latest constituency to be going through a by-election in a few weeks from now. And we're hearing that the roads are seeing a resurfacing. Residents say, don't take us for a fool. Stay with 97.3 CTFM for more on this and many other stories on Eyewitness News. And in business... The GRA to scale up VAT compliance enforcement efforts to ensure tax laws are adhered to. That's in 15 minutes from Netili Neti of the business desk of CTFM and CTTV. Eyewitness News is live across the globe on citynewsroom.com, on YouTube and on Facebook. We are also on a number of affiliate stations across Ghana. We are in Nakpanduri on SCAP 101.3 FM. We are in Boko on Source 100.1 FM. We are in Laura on Westlink 88.1 FM. We are in Tamale on Diamond 93.7 FM. We are in Adakluwaya on Adanu 107.7 FM. We are in Ho on Global 105.1 FM. In the Ashanti region, we are on Kumasi's um, Alpha Radio 104.9 and Orange 107.9. In the Hafo region, we are on Hammers Radio 106.5 FM in Gorso. We are in Sunyani on Greener 95.9 FM. In the Western region, we are in Takradi on Premier 100.5, Beach 105.5 and Sky Power 93.5. All of them in the regional capital, Takradi. Do send us your reactions by sending your message to 549 996. Let's start off from one of the newest regions in Ghana, the Savannah region. And we are told that there is a clash there that has resulted in the death of some seven persons. Richard Fogo is a man in the region. He's joining us from the regional capital, Damongo. Richard, you're welcome to Eyewitness News. Thank you very much, Sandra. Which district are we talking about? And uh, how far is it from Damongo? And what have you gathered so far? Uh, we are talking about the Daboya, uh, the North Gunja district. If you are talking of constituency, that would be the Daboya Mankarigo constituency. Uh, and it's quite a distance from uh, uh, Damango, about three hours from uh, Damango to uh, Daboya. And then to Mankarigo is about another two hours before you proceed to uh, Lukula, where uh, this class we understand is, is taking place. It's the boundary between the uh, Savannah region and the northeast region uh, of Ghana. I see. So it border it borders the, the 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 northeast region, which I find a bit interesting because the northern region is between Savannah and northeast. So this will be closer to Upper East or is closer to 
uh, the downside? I'm just trying to get a geographical location of the area. It's closer to Upper East. That area also borders, uh, 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 you know, from there you are able to enter into the uh, Mampusi uh, uh, West, uh, and, uh, I think. And then from there you can pass through there to uh, Fumbisi and then to Sandema to uh, Navrongo and then to Bolga. I see. So this would be the Gonja land bordering the, the Mampusi land. What, what have you gathered so far? What has happened there? Uh, over the couple of uh, the, the past few days, there has been a tension in the area uh, between the uh, Wasipi traditional area, uh, council and then uh, some uh, other traditional councils that belong, purportedly belong to the Nairi, that's the Mampurugu uh, traditional area, over uh, that community called Lukula. Uh, the uh, Mampurugu settlers on that land uh, are claiming to be owners, and so they have a Mampurugu chief there. And then over the past few days, there was uh, rep- there were reports that the Wasipi traditional area was sending a chief, a Gunja chief to that community. And so the tension has been brewing. And uh, this morning we got reports that the tension has escalated into clashes where houses have been touched and uh, people uh, have been killed. We understand about seven people so far have been uh, uh, killed in the clashes. Uh, One of them, a chief who is not a chief of uh, that local community, but he's a, a, a sub-chief belonging to the uh, Mampusi uh, ethnic group. It's among those that have been killed. Uh, unconfirmed reports indicate that the cluster has extended to a, a, a nearby uh, community. I'm still working to get the name of the community, but the, uh, the, the reports that are coming in is that uh, it's not looking good in that area. Uh, we understand almost all the houses in Lukula, which are mostly such houses, have been burnt down. Now, um, so, um, Richard, we do know that in, in currently the police do not really grant interviews when it comes to these matters at the local level. Um, what sources are you working with from the, from the community? Uh, we are working with, uh, like I said, unconfirmed, the community... It's hardly accessible, and the stories that we are picking up, uh, we are unable uh, to go there. But people around that area keep uh, sending information through social media, and the people of Wasipi, uh, we continue to hear about warriors from Wasipi. That is Daboya, you know, being sent there. So we have sources in uh, Daboya who give us information about what is happening. Uh, at Lukula. Unfortunately, the police wouldn't speak. Just some 10 minutes ago, I spoke to the regional NADMO director. He said that he has heard the reports that are coming from there. His uh, director, uh, his district director has not been able to go to the community involved because uh, of uh, the security nature of the situation. They are waiting for things to uh, uh, calm down before the district directors can go there and assess and tell him the extent of the damage. So he's unable to give us any official position from the side of the NADMO. I tried reaching out to the regional minister, and as I'm just uh, speaking to you, I've seen his call coming in uh, to find out uh, what brief he has gotten.
from the area from the uh, the security agencies. But like you said, unfortunately, for the police, they are mute on the matter as usual and will not tell us anything. Very well. Uh, please pick up the call, get more, and then share with us uh, when you do have them. Thank you for speaking to us. Thank you very much. That's Richard Fogo. He's our correspondent in the Savannah region. Let's go to the Regional Co Coordinating Council and speak to the Regional Minister, uh, who is head of security in the region. The Honorable Said Jibril is a Savannah Regional Minister. Honorable, you're welcome to Eyewitness News on CTFM in Accra. Thank you, Maru, and thank you for having me. So we're just receiving this uh, disturbing news about clashes that has led to death. Uh, at least the report we have is that it's seven. As a regional minister, has this briefing reached you yet? Thank you very much. Uh, I've had the briefing close to three hours from my regional police commander, who is currently at Lukula, where these disturbances took place. He confirmed to me that it's one person, sadly, has lost his life, and is a chief of the Lukula uh, community. I see. I believe they are still conducting investigation, but has is there a history to this? Sure. Uh, Omari, if you remember, uh, this whole Lukula, Mimpia, these particular two communities administratively fall under the North Gonja district. And North Gonja is one of the districts in the Savannah region. There's no dispute about that. The only dispute we have is about the two traditional areas, the Janga traditional area located in the northeast region and the Waspe traditional area located in the North Gwenja district in the Savannah region. These two paramounts claim that those communities, Mimpiasem and Lukula, belong to them. And for that matter, they have to enskin their chiefs on in those two communities. And this is where these clashes began. It all started somewhere in 2019 when the, the chief for Mimpiatem died and he was going to be enskinned by the Waspe traditional area. And so the, when a chief is enskinned for Mimpiatem, he also takes care of the other communities. That is Sekuge number one, Sekuge number two, and then Lukula, precisely in the North Gunja district. But quite recently, the Janga traditional area also thought that those communities belong to them. And so they, they also enskinned chiefs to represent the Mampurugu traditional area in those communities. And this is where the problems began. So, Since 2019. So it has to do with who has a right to enskin who in that area. Absolutely. And, so who, they, and who the land belongs to. So politically, the place is in Savannah region, but traditionally it is Mamprugu land. Is that what it means? No, I'm not, I'm not saying that. Traditionally, two uh, traditional areas are claiming that portion of land and those communities. That is the Gunja Traditional Council, specifically uh, the Waspe Foromancy, is claiming that land and those communities 
and the Janga traditional area under the Nairi is also claiming those communities and uh, that, that disputed land as well. So this, this is how the clashes is between Gonjes and 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 the Mampuses. I see. Now we, we one person is dead. At least what you have gotten officially, even though earlier report no. we had was seven, and that person we are told is a chief. Now do we know if this is a chief from? Do you know which side this this chief is from? The chief I'm told by my regional police commander is from the Mamprugu area. That's the Janga traditional area. Now there would be consequences or reprisals, wouldn't there? Or or the police assures you that they're ready for this. We we have already positioned the police in those two communities. Precisely, it's a joint operation between the Northeast Regional Police Command and the Savannah Regional Police Command. Initially, we were struggling with logistics and then even the, the, the men and women. But as we speak, because of the situation that we face, we have had enough men and women and enough logistics in place. And sadly, this morning when we were moving some of the police from the Daboya traditional area to the two communities, or the Daboya Divisional Police Command, sorry, to those communities, they were involved in an accident. And as we speak, we have to airlift them to uh, Tamale Regional Hospital. Seven policemen were involved in that, in, the, in, in, that, in that accident. And thankfully, they are all alive as we speak. Thank God for that. Now, someone from the community who has sent us a message says that, uh, so the person gives us five communities. It says, Mpasem in North Gonja, Sakpega mm-hmm. number one, Sakpega number two, Lukula, Lukula. and yeah. then Paturigu. Patergo, Patergo, I didn't mention Patergo because Patergo is in the northeast region. Good. And I can speak for my the communities that fall administratively in the Savannah region. Indeed, uh-huh. the person says Patergo is in the Mamprugu Muadugri district of this the northeast region. Obviously, that's why I said it's in the northeast region. Uh-huh. And then but Sakwege number one, Sakwege number two, Mimpiasem and Lukula. Administratively fall under the North Gonja district, under your and region. that is in the and, and that is the Savannah region. Okay, the so. person says these five communities are now like ghost towns since all the women and children have run away, leaving the aged and vulnerable. We wish to appeal to your station to call on the National Security and Ghana Police Service to come to our aid. In fact, the military should be called to and help in endeavor help um, on our behalf to help protect lives and property and prevent these. Um, so prevent this from continuing. That's that's what the person has said. Obviously, uh, it, it is a fact. The in fact, the, this rumor of these clashes has been on for close to two days now. So there were a movement of people, particularly women and children, from these communities to safe areas. But uh, for Sakpege number one and number two, I am hundred percent sure that the people, the residents, are still there because. The assemblyman just uh, spoke to me quite not quite long, also asking for security because they are also afraid that uh, their uh, uh, communities may be attacked, and so they they they, they have not moved out. But hundred percent sure that, say, uh, what do you call it, uh, Lukula, it, there's nobody there. Mimpia, some people have moved out. Patargo people have moved out in the north. Uh, North when you say people have moved out, it means they have fled the town. They fled the town, yes. 
they fled the town about 72 hours back. Does yeah. it mean that there are people who have um, invaded the town and and are fighting or shooting? This, what this, what this is the nature of really, it? This was really what happened. You know, both traditional areas brought in their warriors into this, particularly these two communities, Mimpeasem precisely, and Lukula. And Lukula is where the fighting actually took place during the early hours of this morning. And so that is why that place, most of the houses have been touched. And then uh, there's nobody eventually in Lukula except the police who have been able to flash out the, the warring factions who were there. In, in actual fact, the, we are in touch with the police. Like I told you in, initially, we have enough men and women in, on, uh, at, the, at, at Lukula MMPSM. These are basically the two main communities where we think if there's, any, if there's going to be any clash again, it's most likely to take place in those two communities. So we have enough police in, uh, at that place. You don't need military, but, military enforcement. Yes, that, that is the situation now. We, as a regional coordinating council, or the chairman for Exec, have the military base, 155 Regiment is right seated in Damango, but the chain of command is such that if the police are unable to control the situation or contain the situation, then we'll be forced to call in the military. But as it is now, the police are able to contain the situation and are assuring the two uh, re regional coordinating councils that they will be able to handle the situation. So it is now a joint operation between the Northeast Regional Police Head, uh, Police and the Savannah Regional Police. So they are handling the situation as we speak. And they have not given us any feedback that they can handle the situation. If that be the case, then we will call in the military to support them. Very well. Thank you and wish you all the best. Uh, please, uh, you, please protect Thank the area so for us. Thank you so much. That's Honorable Said Jibril. He's the Savannah Regional Minister. So the earlier information we had was that seven people had died uh, during a, an inter-ethnic clash uh, somewhere in the Savannah region where it borders the Northeast region. But the regional minister has just said to us that the brief he has from the regional police commander is that it's one person who has lost his life. Uh, but a number of people have fled the communities, as you've heard him there. But he says the police is dealing with the situation and uh, the, the camp would be returning, hopefully. This is Eyewitness News on 97.3 CTF. And we're coming to you from our studios in Adabraka in Accra. We return with more. Please stay with us. Eyewitness News. Be there as it happens. Let your voice be heard on Eyewitness News on Facebook at facebook.com forward slash city97.3, Twitter at twitter.com forward slash city973, and Instagram at instagram.com forward slash city973 with the hashtag Eyewitness News. You all come back. Vice President Dr. Mahmoud Obamia has urged all factions in the Boko conflict to collaborate with government and other key stakeholders to resolve the disputes in the area. The Vice President says without peace, Boko will not see the needed development. Addressing the chiefs and queen mothers of the Upper East region, Dr. Obamia expressed anger at the attacks, injuries and the compromised security in Boko.
as a son of the soil my heart breaks about what is happening in boku the conflict in boku is very unfortunate because we are really one people and we should be together and not fighting and so i hope that the initiatives that government has initiated through the house of chiefs and the tomb for that is ongoing will help us bring lasting peace uh, to the boko area and therefore help us develop our part of the country because conflict leads to poverty that has been shown very clearly for us on the part of government we understand that to prevent conflict and to enhance peace we have to make sure that development in Ghana is inclusive that everybody must feel a part of the development that we see in the country Vice President Dr. Mahmoud Bamia. Now, organized labor has issued a two-week ultimatum demanding the reinstatement of three of their local union leaders whose appointments have been terminated by Sinona Sogli Likana Limited. According to organized labor, the termination of these leaders was a result of their decision to join the Ghana Mine Workers Union, which operates under the umbrella of the Trades Union Congress TUC. Following a closed-door meeting with the Minister of Labor Relations, Ignatius Bafwewa, the Secretary-General of TUC, Dr. Yaoba, stated that organized labor is steadfast in their demands and will not relent in their pursuit of justice. We want to warn them that we are giving them this chance that organized labor is speaking and they better listen. Yes. And this message is not going only to management of Sinonazoka. It is also going to the president of Ghana and his government. They better listen to organized labor. Yes. Otherwise, they know what will happen. I don't have to even mention it. Yes. So, Congress, uh, because this is about the third or fourth time we are discussing this issue, we are not going to waste your time. Those who should listen, should listen. And not only listen, they should hear us. That if we are giving them time, we are giving them up to 26th of June to get our three guys back to work. And stop all that intimidation going on and allow the union to finish the process of unionization. If that doesn't happen by the 26th of this month, they will hear from us. In our usual parents, we will advise ourselves. So that was Dr. Yaoba, who is the Secretary General of the Trades Union Congress. Now, the Media Coalition Against Illegal Mining says the failure of governments to prosecute persons engaged in illegal mining, popularly referred to as Galamse, has emboldened others to engage in the act. Over 80 illegal miners have been arrested by the Obwasa District Police Command after they ex- exited a mine shaft belonging to Anglo Gold Obwasa Mine in the Ashanti region. Speaking to City News, convener for the Media Coalition Against Illegal Mining, Dr. Ken Ashibe, said government would not achieve a different result if it continues to use the same approach in its fight. 
it is basically a continuation of what happened in uh, Wata, uh, Goldfield, Wata, where you had a mob, you know, led by foreigners with uh, arms going attacking uh, the the mine and destroying vehicles, the core samples, and all of that. And it, it just tells me that we are getting into the state of lawlessness, where because of the fact that these um, illegal miners know that there are no repercussions, there are no consequences for what is being done. They have been emboldened. They have seen that the minister can call out for some mining. Uh, you know, they have a situation where uh, a former DC will be caught on tape confessing to an illegality and nothing happens to them. So why would they also not want to take their pound of match? And so what we're doing is that we are nesting this demon and this monster. And very soon, some parts of our country will become no areas because, uh, you know, these illegal miners, uh, you know, have been emboldened. And we know the, the schedule of uh, wars, you know, that surround us. We know the threat of these terrorists and all of that. And they are looking for uh, money to fund the operation. So by the time you see it, they have come and they've taken over particular areas and then we can't do anything about it. So it is really important that, uh, you know, our leaders realize the fact that where we're going, you know, we need to stop it. And things have to be done differently. And so it's just uh, the fact that it, it is the, the next step to where we are, the slippery slope that we are on. Well, Dr. Kenashibe also outlined steps that ought to be taken in the fight against illegal mining. Uh, we also now need to move to the next step. And I think for me, one of the radical ones we need to do as a coalition is that we need to now get to the point where maybe we start suing some of these people who are involved or are complicit or who have to act and are not acting. And another of the radical different things I think we should do is that we should be petitioning, you know, the IMF, be petitioning the World Bank, so that one of the conditionalities they should be given for being able to access this fund, uh, you know, this loan that we are getting, is how are we, you know, how are we ensuring that the governance structure of our uh, natural resources are actually being implemented? And maybe we need to help with a, a PR campaign that draws this down. The uh, University of Energy and Natural Resources, are talking about this media-academia partnership where we come together, they do the research, and then we do the advocacy. I think the time has come. Because if we do that, and we get the local community to start rebelling against that state, to start holding the people accountable, what immediately we see is that democracy will start correcting it. Because the, the politicians, they all they are interested in is the next election, not the next generation. If the community starts pushing back on this, because they want their vote, they will start acting correctly. So I think that's one of the things we need to do. How do we sensitize, uh, you know, the, the, the people in this community to know that these things that are happening? So maybe we need to start using shock and awe. It will be interesting if we could get billboards in these communities, showing the people who, you know, have died, people who are still bad, showing them some of these children. The only thing we need to do is this whole ethical dilemma about showing children, how do we cover their faces and all of that, but still be able to shock people into action. We need to be able to demonstrate to people that their very survival is at risk.
You had Dr. Ken Ashigbe, who is convener for the Media Coalition Against Illegal Mining. Now, the African Centre for Counterterrorism has requested that the government collaborate with the National Commission for Civic Education to intensify their campaign on the See Something, Say Something initiative. In May 2022, the Ministry of National Security launched this initiative to encourage citizens to report suspicious acts of terrorism and violent extremism. However, one year after the launch, the African Centre for Counterterrorism believes that insufficient resources have been dedicated to educating people on the strategy. Emmanuel Kotin, the Executive Director of the Centre, expressed these concerns. If you look at the way the terrorists have expanded their tactics in dealing with some of these issues, it's always right and proper to bring in the citizenry. I'm asking government to scale up that process and depoliticize it, that the government nominated to lead the process. It defeated the entire uh, uh, essence of the campaign. We realized just recently uh, the National Commission of Civil Education have gotten funding to embark on sensitizing the people about violent uh, uh, extremism. So governments have partnered the National Commission for Civil Education, which is NCC, to undertake that campaign. Emmanuel Koting is executive director of the African Centre for Counterterrorism. Let's do some politics now because the new patriotic party flag bearer hopeful Kennedy Ohimi Ijapon is confident of victory in 2024 should he be elected as flag bearer of the party. His team made this known after picking the forms at the NPP headquarters in Accra. The Ascent Central Member of Parliament becomes the ninth person to have picked the forms since the party opened nominations. In an interview with City News, campaign manager for Kennedy Japan, Kwame Ozu, indicated that the grassroots of the party is attracted to what he described as the disciplinary nature of the candidate. We believe in the grassroots. The people are excited about what Honorable Ken stands for. Honorable Ken does not stand for indiscipline. Honorable Ken is honest in terms of his dealing with the country and the business of life. Honorable Ken is patriotic that he will die for Ghana. He has demonstrated that. I, so in most of the times, if you, if you hear him talking loud or making the case, it is what people will come in and say that he's non-conforming. Of course he's non-conformist because he stands for the ordinary people and ordinary people are not conformists. How would this play into his chances? Very easy. That is what people like. People want somebody who is disciplined. Because there's too many indiscipline in this country. Indiscipline leads to corruption. But once you see a man that you believe is honest and you're going to work for him, it has to be at the back of your mind that whatever you do, you face the, <laughs> the, the, the whip very, very squarely. Kwame Ouso is campaign manager for New Patriotic Party flag bearer, hopeful Kennedy Ohine Japan. Eyewitness News. Be there as it happens. You're welcome back. This is Eyewitness News on 97.3 CTFM. We are coming to you from our studios in Adabraka, in Accra. Let's go to the University of Education, Winneba now. There's some fresh trouble on that campus. There's a group known as the Concerned UEW staff.
The group is demanding the removal of the governing council chairman. The group says the governing council chairman, known as Nana Ofori Ansan I, is an autocratic leader. Professor George Kankam Sr. speaks for this group of staff and he actually signed their statement. He's joined us on the line. Prof, you're welcome to Eyewitness News. Thank you so much and especially good evening to my cherished listeners. Great. Um, how many are you in this concerned UEW staff? Oh, concerned UEW staff, we are over 150. In fact, uh, I am speaking in my capacity as the president of MPP lecturers of University of Education, Winneba, precisely senior patrons and the chief patron of TESCON. And for the concerned group, the leader, please. We are over 150 and even more than that. So you are a new patriotic party Lecturers or staff of UEW? Yes, yes. no patriotic party uh, lecturers of UEW. Do we have and we are do we have we national are, we are not, by the way, do we have National we Democratic not. Congress lecturers too? Yes, we have. So your campus they is belong, divided between NDC and MPP? They belong to the team. It's not only on the University of Education campus only. On all the campuses we uh, have groups for the dominant parties. I know there's Stain and Tescon, but that's students. I didn't know that the lecturers and staff also aligned and will take part oh, in these the, groups. the staff have. We have the Friday club at the University of Cape Coast and other clubs at other universities. And the NDC one is the team. So we have them on all the... But the NDC team is for the students, or you're saying that the lecturers are also part? The lectures are also part, please. So you are also part of TESCON? I, I am the chief patron of TESCON. Oh, I see. And, I the, see. Pre, and the president of senior patrons. The senior patrons is the lecturers of New Patriotic Party branch of UW. I see. Interesting. And I'm, and I'm, 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 I am at the same time the chief patron of TESCON. And for the concerned staff, I'm their leader, please. I have been at the University of Education for the past 30 years. What do you teach or what do you do? I teach counseling psychology, teacher education, and research methods. Do you have any administrative role that you play in the school? Professor Kankam has held almost every position in the University of Education apart from Vice-Chancellor and Pro-Vice-Chancellorship. I have been dean of the Faculty of Education for three times, director, and I terminated as the principal of the Jumanfo campus. I see. So apart from the position of Vice-Chancellor and Pro-Vice-Chancellor, my 30 years of University of Education, 22 years of it has been man management position. And I have been a council chairman before. I was the council chairman of University of Energy and Natural Resources, Sinyani. I see. Okay. So um, this decision of yours to have the governing council chair removed, is it a political one or an administrative one? 
not at all. Anybody who knows, Professor Kankam knows that I have never gone to lectures to talk about politics. Everybody at the University of Education knows me for my objectivity and frankness. It is purely administrative and in the best interest of University of Education, Winneba. Like I did say. What has he done? What are his sins? Good. Uh, my good brother, if you have been followed, following trends, at University of Education, Winneba, you will agree with me that painfully, since 2015, the University of Education has always been in the news for bad things. And this has been a serious case of case to some of us. And it was because in 2015, Professor Malta Walker was appointed the Vice-Chancellor of University of Education, Winneba. Let me emphatically say that Professor Bucket's appointment passed through a very thorough process through a set committee. And as I speak, I see Professor Mauta Bucket as an accomplished scholar like myself. And we have been at the same faculty over 30 years. So I have a lot of respect for him, and he has a lot of respect for me. Unfortunately, in 2017, there were certain developments in the university, and Professor Aboke, tenor had to be truncated. Since his tenor was truncated, the University of Education had been in the news for bad reasons. When Professor Abokestena was truncated, Reverend Father Antonio Akubuni was appointed the vice chancellor. But before Professor Akubuni's tenure came to an end, a such committee that is demanded by the university statutes was put in place in August 2021 to appoint a vice chancellor for University of Education, Winneba. That's that committee was chaired by Professor Bonzi Simpson and other prominent professors. When the state committee finished its work and it was about to submit its report, that was when Nana Ufura and Science Council came into being. A court procedure put an injunction on the search committee and prevented the council from receiving the search committee report and discussing it. And let me say that that injunction we see as frivolous. And I'm going to explain this. Thank God, in February 2022, the Winneba High Court gave order that Professor Aboke should come back to finish his tenure and finish his mandatory 60 years of retirement. We were all happy. My good friend, Professor Aboke has come back and all things being equal, Professor Aboke will finish his tenure in September 2023. 
this year. All of us were of the view that it was Professor Abokestana that was truncated, that created all this hula baloo about University of Education Winneba. So per design, if Professor Abokke has been brought back by the court order to finish his tenure of office, then University of Education should witness peace and then continue its growth. Unfortunately, that is not what Nana Ofori and Sans Council is doing. Nana Ofori and Sans Council is rather trying to plunk the university into further chaos. Why do I say this? One, the third committee report that was put in place in August 2021, Nana Ofori and Sans is saying that it is moot because of the frivolous injunction. Fine. If you are a council chair and it, you claim it is moot, then all those who even took part in that contest, it applies to them. Surprisingly, the same Nana answer is mooting for Professor Justin Mutua, who was part, who contested for the vice chancellorship per the third committee of 2021 to be the vice chancellor of the University of Education, Winneba. Let me place on record that per divine, myself and Professor Ousu Mensa happen to be the members of the third committee for August 2021. And the committee at the end shortlisted two people, so that in the unlikely event of the first candidate turning the appointment down, the second candidate will take it. Professor Justin Mitua was the third, and he was not shortlisted. So if you say that report is moot, and you, the same council chairman, you are pushing for Professor Justin Mitua to be the vice chancellor. What example are you saying? As a council chairman, are you not exhibiting double standards? So now, the, the, so the, the challenge now is that you believe you are in position to take over as vice chancellor, but you are someone else is being nominated by the vice by, no, by no, the board no, chair. No, 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 that is not what I'm saying. I'm saying that so you and. Um, what do you mention under professor the two of you who were first and second no 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 i didn't say i contested for the position i said no i didn't say I you contested i'm saying you you were you were part of the short list no no i was a part a member of the that set committee i was a member of the set committee myself and professor Ozu Mensa, we represented convocation on that set committee. Is that clear? Yes, it's clear. Yes. And All right. So, so if I ask you to list the specific scenes uh, beyond the 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 challenge with the with the work of the the committee and the decision of the court, what other things has he done to warrant you asking for his removal? Uh, my good friend. 
when Nana uh, and, uh, uh, Nana came, he didn't even tell us openly that he did not have thorough knowledge about university management and administration. And for us, that we, that we saw was even good. If somebody has been frank to say these things, and you see, it's a learning process. So we thought that having said that he was going to learn, but that is not the case. We now have a vice chancellor who is showing no respect for the status of the university. A, class, a classic example was the appointment of the current chancellor of the university. The statute states in the area that at least we should have three. At the time we had the three, he postponed the thing because his favorite candidate had not been nominated. And as a council chair, even at council meetings, you can set for this. Normally, it is the council chair who rather seeks the opinion of other council members before we conclude. In the case of the chancellor, it was our council chair who first spoke and said he, would, he has endorsed this person and he is prevailing upon the other council chairman, council members to accept this. It's a serious affront to council meetings and council procedure. This is your demand for his removal. Uh, are you asking him to resign or be removed? We are asking to for his removal. Who is who, then, who does the removal? Per the processes of your procedure of your school, who can remove him? Per, per, per the council chairman. The council chairman is usually appointed. By His Excellency, the President of Ghana. So, has this your call come to the President? Yes, we we are following it up. We are sending a letter to the President earlier on during his first seven months of office. Our Utah and Gawa wrote to the President, Office of the President. He said, "Come events cast their shadows," requesting humbly that he should be removed. That was not done. In fact, if a president appoints a council chairman, the big question is, who are we to request for his removal? But the truth of the issue is that we are in the university and we want the university, education, university of education, Winneba, to develop. We wouldn't want the university to be run for people's parochial interests. Not at all. Very well. Th thank you. But by the way, uh, this person you want removed, is he on the NPP side or NDC side of the lecture, le teacher groups? For that, I don't know. Oh, how? You thought you knew all your members. You've been there for 30 years. I, I, so he's not a lecturer. A council chairman. I know, I know. I, so, so he's not on campus with you. He's an, no, extern he's he's an external either. person. Yes. Very well. In the university structure. Okay, I get the it. Council I, I, is the highest decision body making. I, I get it now. Decision making body. I get, I get it. Thank you. Thank you so much yes. for speaking to us, Prof. And then there's another thing I will want 
to emphasize. If you can say it in 30 seconds, I'll be happy because I don't have a lot of time. Yes. Yes. We are pleading that the government should, we have a lot of respect and love for our politicians and our MPs. But we are pleading with the government to ensure that our politicians and our MPs take their hands off the universities. If we allow the politicians to decide who should become a vice chancellor to the university, I am telling you, we'll be doing education great disservice. Which politician are you talking about, though? Come again. Which politician are you referring to? Which politician? Yes, the ones you want to. I'm not mentioning anybody's name. Okay, that's but I'm fine. I'm talking about the University of Education, Winnipeg. That, that's fine. Let's it leave appears, it. The political interference is too much for those of us who are being MPP lecturers, and the lecturers are large. Thank you for speaking and to we us, are bro. saying that when it comes to education, we should be a political. If we allow this thing to continue, we do education great disservice. Thank you. That's Professor George Kankam Sr. He is spokesperson of the group known as Concerned Staff of UEW. This is Eyewitness News on 97.3 CTFM. Let's remain in the central region. There's a by-election that will come up later this month in Asin North uh, because the member of parliament for that area uh, has been considered or declared by the Supreme Court as illegitimate to have been on the ballot in 2020. Calvi Setter is a correspondent in the central region. He has been to the constituency and uh, there's a disturbing development about projects that are just springing up because of the by-election. At least that's what the residents are saying to him. Calvi, you're welcome to Eyewitness News. What have you found so far? Well, uh, Sandra, it's, it's interesting, you know, to, to see that just in, just, uh, in, a, in, in a matter of few hours, I mean, and they've started construction of some roads that have been abandoned. Uh, the uh, town road, uh, which is the district capital of Aten North, uh, this morning I witnessed uh, some machines on the road uh, trying to reshape the road. Obviously, they are going to put bitumen on the road uh, as a form of, uh, you know, uh, construction. You know, throughout the communities, according to residents, several months down, they have not seen any road construction. And that particular portion of road that connects to the community has been abandoned for so many months and that they are surprised that just because of the announcement of the, uh, the by-elections, machines have come on and they are working. Um, there's, it is a divided opinion. Some portion of the people in the consensus also believe that, I mean, even when it comes to by-elections, you are going to campaign based on, I mean, what you have done. So they don't see anything wrong uh, with the construction of road projects within the uh, district capital standard. I see. Uh, thank you for, for speaking to us. That's Calvi Stetter, our correspondent in the central region. Let me go to the NDC side. Apa Martin is Deputy Communications Officer of the NDC in Asin North. Uh, Martin, you're welcome to Eyewitness News. Uh, now that roads are coming up, are you sure this seat you're not going to lose it? <laughs> My brother, good evening to your listeners. It is very unfortunate. Now the MPP think that uh, the asking of people, they are fool. They are not fool. They are very wise. This road was cut, uh, was even to cast a uh, five times before the 2020 election. They started the 2020 election. At that time, there was no a single amount was given to the a contractor on the site. So they took intervention of the Honorable Jim Dechikwishin 
to invite this in the, the Minister of Road, Honorable Makwata, the floor of the parliament. And the Honorable James Dechikwesi, specifically asking Honorable Amwakwata on the construction of the road in the Asimbriku Township. In fact, the Honorable Amwakwata was not able to explain a certain things to the of the Asimbriku. And now that it came to the decision, the bar election, now they get to their senses that it is the need to construct a road for the people of Arsenal. It's not bad, but uh, we are telling them whether they construct the road or not, the people of Arsenal have been decided already. And the uh, two, we are asking them, after the bad election, are they going to continue the road or they will pack their uh, tools and leave the place? So we are waiting for them. And let's say it is only Arsene North that is they are be able to construct the road or they are be construct the road for the Arsene North and the Arsene North constituency. But these roads, were they not already part of government plans? Uh, so that maybe it just happens that this is the time the contractor was ready to go to site. My brother, it's never true. Even the, the engineer on the side, Honorable Jim Jechikwesi invited the engineer, his own house, in asking him either have been receiving money or not. He said, no, he have raised about five certificates. Even the penny was not able to give it to the contractor. So the contractor uses his own money to do something on it. Since 2020, up to date, and I think you have seen that this in the pictures that's circulating on the social media. That's the nature of the ascent of as a digital capital. All right, but that notwithstanding, how confident are you that your candidate, uh, James Jachikwesin, is going to win uh, the impending by-election? Mr. James Jachikwesin is the second Jesus Christ. He's the second Jesus Christ for the Arsenal and the people of Ghana. In the, the, the total population in the Arsenal, or the voter population in the Arsenal, is 54,000. In 2020, Honorable James Desecration win 17,000 and plus, and the incumbent win 14,000. The difference is 3,305. And looking at the things, looking at the hardship the people are going through in the same north and the entire Ghana. So as we are going for the bad election, it is agenda 29,000 for Honorable Jimmy Jetiquesi because he has done a lot to the people of Arsene North. Very well. Wish you all the best and thank you for speaking to us. Thank you too. That's APA or APA Martin, his Deputy Communications Officer of the NDC in the Arsene North constituency of the Central Region, uh, where we are expecting a by election to come up uh, later. And uh, talking about the earlier story brought to you from UEW. 
Um, we interviewed Professor George Kankam Senior. There's a message that has come through from another lecturer uh, from the same campus, Professor Samuel Atintonu. And he says, Good evening, Umaru. I listened to your interview with Professor Kankam and I'm happy with the way you ask your questions. He said, <laughs> He's a hypocrite because he was one of the architects of the Bruni regime and now the tables have turned and he's crying wolf. Uh, that's just one of the many issues coming up from University of Education, Winiba. You have some other stuff. Yes, let me do this last one. Ala Foods, producers of Dano Milk, has marked World Milk Day with market activation at La Paz and Medina Markets in Accra. The company, together with its brand ambassador, Benson Nanayao Udrubwati, popularly known as Funny Face, educated traders on the benefits of milk while also distributing some of its products. Speaking to City News, the general manager of Ala Foods Ghana, Vitotas Petronas highlighted the significance of the day while reiterating the commitment of Ala Foods to produce fresh and quality milk for its customers. The way we see dairy is an important part of, of uh, nutrition, on a daily on the good nutritious diet. So having products that you know are healthy, that are good for you, that have you know various nutrients, vitamins A, B2, B12, D, calcium that is good for bones and and, and good for for per brain as well, right? So it's an important. We as one of the major dairy companies provide that. So we 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 know our products are safe and healthy and good to eat. So we try to give the chance for the broader public to try them out. But generally, I, think, I find it unique in terms of that we are farmer-owned. We're a farmer-owned dairy cooperative. So unlike most of the other companies, we control the full value chain. So we know where the products are coming from. and They're all coming from our farmer cows. They all adhere to the same standard. They have the same quality control along the way. We don't source the milk from somewhere else. You know, coming goes from different uh, farmers or different markets or different players. It's all our milk, all the way. So from the farm, to the dairy, you know, the production sites, all the way to the market here in Ghana with our own uh, facilities and distribution. So we, we can vouch for the product all the way. So that's, I think, what makes it more unique than many other the products. And in the end, I think it's a lot to do with the taste. So I think we see that people prefer the taste that we have. And we're, of course, happy about that. The World Milk Day is, is, is finishing today, 1st of June, right? But we have a couple more days uh, to go in terms of our celebration. Vitotas Petronas as general manager of Ala Foods Ghana. Meanwhile, brand ambassador of Dano Milk, Benson Nanayao Drew Watson, popularly known as Funny Face, has urged the public to continue purchasing Dano Milk. I believe every Ghanaian should make it a point to get Dano Milk. Um, Dano Milk it's, it's, it's rich in calcium, protein, the vitamins A to D. Um, and Dano Milk is basically like, it's different. It's, it's, the quality is top notch. That's the more reason why I'm encouraging every Ghanaian to go and get Dano milk. You know, when I sign something or when I endorse something, it is, not, it is quality and it is quantity, it is swag. There. Everything, is, everything about anything I sign is top-notch. So obviously, that influenced the idea to sign for um, a, a quality company like uh, Allah Food Ghana and Dano milk. Yeah. Today being a World Milk Day, I'm telling everybody out there, just go out there and get a milk. Because uh, basically, you know, when you drink quality milk, your skin, everything, you, you think straight, everything is perfect, your skin looks smooth, you know, pure nourishment. So everybody should go get it. Yeah. Benson Nanayao Drubwati, popularly known as Funny Faces, brand ambassador of Dano Milk.
Let your voice be heard on Eyewitness News on Facebook at facebook.com forward slash city97.3, Twitter at twitter.com forward slash city973, and Instagram at instagram.com forward slash city973 with the hashtag Eyewitness News. Every significant financial transaction, every market movement, and all the policies that affect your business. City Business News. Be informed. Time now for City Business News and Eyewitness News, powered by citybusinessnews.com. My name is Netele Nete Ajaho. Let's settle for the details now. The Ghana Revenue Authority has hinted of scaling up its VAT enforcement exercise. This comes as the authorities. Domestic VAT Compliance Tax Force has recently stepped up its enforcement efforts in the Ashiaman Township. During the operation earlier today, several shops were raided and essential record documents were confiscated. This move, according to the authority, is to ensure that tax laws are being followed and to increase government revenues. As a result of the operation, three retail shop owners, namely Eagle Ventures, Happy Stores and New World Enterprise have been apprehended for their failure to issue VAT invoices to customers. The Ghana LPG Operators Association has cautioned government against the exclusive implementation of the Cylinder Recirculation Model Program. The members believe it will be a direct threat to investments made by Ghanaians in the liquefied petroleum gas business. President of the Ghana LPG Operators Association, Kwame Sheikh, speaking to City News during the opening of the 5th National Congress in Takradi, said, Ghanaian investors must take the lead role in the program. U.S. dollars. There is no company in Ghana which makes LPG tax. No, not stationary tax. There is not one company. Every stationary tank you see in Ghana comes from outside. Nigeria is producing their own tanks. Tanzania is attempting to produce its own tank. And they are ably assisted by the government. But in Ghana, the government of Ghana has not even dreamt of going into that investment. So every tank in Ghana comes from outside. Now, when the cylinder recirculation model starts, what is going to be the fate of people who have bought tanks? We don't know. We in Glebwa, Ghana LPG Operators Association, have traveled outside before. And we know that in other jurisdictions, the CRM is there, the failing points are there. And I can tell you for fact that in Canada and the United States, CRM is there, and failing points are there in Canada and in the United States. So why can't the two go on? But the government of Ghana is bent on rolling out the CRM and then at a point leave everybody in suspense. We don't know what is going to happen to our investment. Kwame Sheikh is the president of the Ghana LPG Operators Association. The Ghana Investments Promotion Center is calling on logistics service providers in the country to partner governments in addressing logistics supply chain bottlenecks. The GIPC notes that this will help Ghana attract the necessary investment within the African continental free trade area and foreign direct investments. Deputy Chief Executive Officer of GIPC Yao Amwating Efriye made a call at the CEO's breakfast meeting recently held by the GIPC. 
Uh, GIPC's mandate, as you know, is to mobilize uh, inward investment into the country. And we are also uh, doing so with an eye on exports. And so companies like Agility uh, coming in as an anchor supporter is very, very good for all of us uh, to have the conversations and be able to overcome uh, the immediate bottlenecks that impede trade and investment in Ghana. And look, th this event uh, will not be a talk shop. Um, the reason why Agility and others came on board uh, is to ensure that we are really bridging the conversations and, and putting a spotlight on them. Agility is a private sector partner. Uh, we had a number of private sector persons and companies who were there, and they are looking for the types of services that Agility provides. And so the, the spotlight on the AFCFTA and building the linkages really is not a talk shop. Uh, Ghana is of reforms through its incentives, uh, programs, and, and so on, is attracting that capital so that we can use it to leapfrog and springboard into the AFCFTA. Yao Amwatinge Free is the Deputy Chief Executive Officer of the Ghana Investment Promotion Center. And finally, players within the tourism space are being taxed to rope in the informal sector in the tourism value chain to help boost the local economy. It is projected that by the end of 2025, tourism alone will generate about $4 billion to the government. This is because over 2 million international tourists will be trooping into the country to experience Ghana's tourism sector. These comments were made by the Chief of Staff, Akosuya Firma Oseo Pari, at the National Tourism Event at Pediasi. Active stakeholder involvement forms critical part of the effort to harness our cultural assets for inclusive tourism growth. A lot of effort must come from all stakeholders from the private and public sectors of the economy to promote our festivals, our cultural programs and artistic expression. To achieve inclusive tourism growth, we must ensure that the benefits of tourism are shared equitably. This requires us to actively involve local communities in the tourism value chain by empowering them to participate in the sector, whether through artisanal crafts, cultural performances, or community-based tourism initiatives. We can propel local economic development, create sustainable economic opportunities, and reduce regional disparities. Communities must of necessity have some financial share of the proceeds from tourism ventures. That was the Chief of Staff, Akosia Firma Ose Opari. And that's it for City Business News and Eyewitness News. It was powered by citybusinessnews.com. My name is Netelinete Ajaho. Up next is Point Blank. Eyewitness News. Be there as it happens.
This is Poem Long and Eyewitness News. My name is Umaru Sandamad. Tonight on Poem Long, we're talking about Pensioner Bondholders Forum. That group that has had a running battle with the government since the government introduced the Domestic Debt Exchange Program. That DDE has gone through, but there's another fight. Today it was raining, and this group of pensioners, retirees, converged on the finance ministry to protest. The leader of the group is Dr. Anna Nientri. He's joined me in the studio. Doc, you're welcome to Eyewitness News. Thank you. How are you? Fine. By the grace of Warrior. You're wearing a Ghana flag tie. Yes. Yeah, what's that? What, what are, it's not Ghana Day. It's not Independence Day. No, no, if, if we, are, we are doing national work, we must be in national attire. Ah, is it national work? It's your pocket money now. Your personal... validation. No, how? how? This is your own personal money. People how? who are living in this nation are affected. Okay, so tell me... You, the last time you and I engaged in the studio was because the DDE was coming up and you were opposed to it. That one has been solved. What is the new problem that you have? Well, as you said, we were not opposed to it as such. You opposed we to it touching your money? That, that they should exempt uh, mm-hmm. uh, pensioners. But they should have been the first group to ever, uh, you should think of them as the first group for exemption. Mm-hmm. So we got exemption uh, after a hard uh, struggle. Uh, this time around, it is the payment of the coupons and the principal. So we have been talking to government always, uh, the delays about the delays. We always say these are the monies that people are using for their medication. So when you delay the payment, you are stretching them. And uh, if you, you deny them access to their medication, then, of course, you are compounding their health situation. And definitely many of them will lose their lives. So don't do that. Give them their coupons so that they can uh, take care of their medication. When you say coupons, what is that? The coupons are the interest, the periodic interest that are paid on bonds. If you buy a bond... So government bonds. Government bond, you are supposed to be paid uh, six months, every six months. If the government is giving you, let's say, 20% per annum, uh, half of your interest is given to you every six months. So every six months, a coupon is due, the interest, which we call it the coupon. And this has always been the case? That is the case for, for government bonds. This is not treasury bill? No, no, no. This is government bond, government, government papers? So, so every six months, you receive your interest. Okay. Now, has it always been a problem that the government delays in paying the coupon? No, no, it has never. In fact, let, let, let me say, even previously, earlier on, sometimes your banks even credit you before... They even get the money from government. When you are expecting money to come tomorrow, before you realize today, your, your accounts has been credited. Because some banks were doing that as, you know, they know oh, the accounts will always, government will always give them. So uh, I, I, I believe they were doing that to say that we, we pay even uh, on due day when even government hasn't given us money, we pay. So that has been the trend that always, if it's due on Monday, likely to not to miss that Monday uh, to the following day or the following two days, you are going to get it. So this is a new thing. And how long I'm, have you been buying government bonds for, personally? For, for me, I, I started investing in government T-bills uh, somewhere around 76, 77. 
I started working 75. Mm. And uh, you started saving immediately. Saving immediately. That has, savings has been part of my, my, my behavior. And you're saying that this problem with the bonds now is a first. This is a first of its kind because government has never uh, you know, met such a, a situation. Default. We haven't. We have never defaulted on. Our so BOG bond. pays the money to your bank, and then the bank pays to you. That's yes, what happens. Yes, that's the government. You know, the government's account sits with BOG. So mm. when the government directs, then the the money will goes to the various uh, banks, and they will also pay. What, what is the problem the now? Why is that not happening? Lack of the liquidity. There is no money to pay. How BOG that's, prints money. Well, they, they they won't print money for this kind of uh, uh, expenses or this kind of. So government the government doesn't have money to government pay. Government says it doesn't have money to pay, and uh, I believe so. The government uh, has a problem. So you 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 because you have been in yes, in yes, the finance yes. sector. You but I also advise that government should borrow money from the treasury bill market to settle the the coupons. Give me a second now. These bonds that you bought from the government, that money you give to the government is an investment. Yes. The government also invests that money in ten. Yes. So I'm sure your money has been invested. Yes. There should be returns for the government so that the government then pays you. Yes. So why is it that government doesn't have money? Government will not always invest the the proceeds of uh, of uh, bonds in solely economic activities that will generate returns. Social services are there. Government would would put some money into hospitals, into things that may not yield immediate. That is also uh, uh, part of. Uh, the project that but since it's a recurring thing, I'm sure there's already a plan by government so that as soon as the money comes, it goes here, and by six months it will come back this. I mean, you I'm see, sure government see, would have worked uh, out all those yes, numbers. government was doing that. Mainly, some of these things, uh, it is the inflow that comes for you to service the old one, as mm-hmm. we are doing now with uh, T-bills. Mm-hmm. Government may not have... Uh, I've generated any internally uh, income, internal income internally to service it. But when the bonds market was still there, available to government, every week government will issue bonds. Then it will use part to retire the maturing bonds, and then sometimes we borrow in excess to also use for other 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 projects. So that was available for government. So they were having no problems. But now that you have uh, hit a default uh, <laughs> uh, point and you can no longer issue the bonds, then there's a challenge that you are not getting the new uh, inflows to service this. And the only inflow uh, avenue available to government is a treasury bill market. That is what is not close. And that is where government can always go and borrow. That's why we are saying go, go there, there and borrow okay. and give us. Are you the only ones affected pensioners? pensioners or, or every bondholder in Ghana is affected? Every bondholder who has not tended its, uh, his or her bonds is affected. We were exempted, but there are other people who exempted themselves. The self-exemption that mm-hmm. we, we explained. So all these people have been they, affected. They, yes. or, I'm, I want to know whether it's exclusive just your group no, or no. everybody who is a everybody, government bondholder who yes. exempted themselves. Yes, also having been paid. But so, as I say, I was tell people that if government exempted you, you had uh, a better. Uh, mm-hmm. you, that's why you insisted that yeah, the exemption that, come from the government. You, no, you'll be paid when it is due, and you even have a, that better. Uh, condition, you are not being paid. Then how much more to do? So let me simplify this: the government 
last year and this year said to you that the money you have come to give it, which is the bonds, it wants to stay a bit longer before it pays you back, between 5 to 15 years. You said to government that, no, we don't want you to touch our bonds, which is our savings. Government challenged you, but for a number of months after protests, eventually the government agreed and said, okay, we will touch other people's money. We'll give it to them back in 5 or 7 or 15 years. But yours, we will give you immediately matures. Now, the situation now is that you are, it has matured, but you are not yeah, seeing it. it yes. And you also don't expect it in 15 or 7 no. years. So you are not even sure when it is going to come. Or has the government given you a date by which it is going to come? No, I said, no, no. Maybe tomorrow when you have the meeting before we can... But the deputy minister met you. But they, didn't say, they couldn't say anything about the principal. That's why they said they would engage us. And that's the engagement that we have waited and written two letters to them that please do the engagement, but the engagement wasn't coming until today that the deputy minister says they will want to meet us to do the engagement tomorrow. How way back since uh, the default started? The default started even before the DDP got uh, ended. Okay. Uh, because so which month are we talking about? February. So since February, February 6th was the, the time the DDP was supposed to end, but uh, it was uh, pushed forward to 14th. Uh, at that time, by the time that the DDP has ended, there were already six uh, February coupons, which was in areas. But we, we all, nobody said anything because the DDP has been extended. So by 21st, 21st, the new date for settlement, we call it settlement day. The settlement day is, if we are issuing securities, the settlement day is the day that everyone who wants to buy the bonds, money or checks or payment, whatever, should have been settled. And the issuer will get the, the, uh, the funds. And the same settlement day, that's the day the issuer also should, should issue the bonds to you. So that is the day that both the money coming to the issuer should come and the issuer also must issue the bonds to you. But in this case, uh, because the issuer was not going to issue new bonds for you to take your money, that was the day that the issuer will issue new bonds for you and take back your old bonds and cancel it. So they issue you with a new bonds and cancel the old bonds on that 21st. So on that 21st, which is a settlement day, after the settlement day, as soon as the settlement day ends, the issuer now would know who and who didn't submit or tender in their bonds. So before the settlement day, I will not go and say, pay me, because the issuer wouldn't know whom to pay, mm -hmm. because he doesn't know who and who are going to uh, tender and who and who are not going to tender. So we exercise that uh, restraint and say, no, you can't demand your money now, even though it was due on the 6th. You can't demand it now. You have to wait until settlement day. So when settlement day came 21st, then ordinarily by 22nd, you should see the payment being uh, uh, made for people who didn't tender. We waited until 27th. We weren't seeing anything. So we went to the ministry and said, look, settlement day has uh, passed. You should have started paying. Still, you haven't paid. What is the challenge? And you haven't told any, any investor to anything. That was the day the ministry said they will start paying because of some reconciliation and others. They will start paying on the 13th. So we agree. 13th March. We agree that we wait for you to pay 13th March. 13th March means the first coupon, which was due on the 6th, would have been there for one month 
and some uh, seven days. But nevertheless, we accepted. Then on the 13th, we didn't see any payment. So 14th, we raised alarm. The four government came to say, I'm going to start paying uh, today. And government starting today said he was going to pay only the ones that were due on the 6th February and 13th February. I said, why? Then what about the rest? Say, I'll come, I'll tell you that in due course. We didn't hear anything. We complained. Did they pay for the 6th and 13th? Yes, they paid for the 6th and 13th. Okay. Then later on, government came and said, I'm going to pay for those that were due on the 20th. Of February. And, of February. Mm. And you hear uh, about the rest later on. I said, that is not how. That is where we started saying, no, we have given you a chance. So now you're receiving a piecemeal. Yes. We have given you a chance when you had uh, issues about inco- the inconclusive nature or having completed the DDEP, you have completed, you said there were reconciliation issues, we have given you time to do your reconciliation. Now, there is nothing to be said about the delays. You have no reason to delay. So that's so why you pay. decided to go to So the... from that side, then we, we gave government our letter that look, by 21st of April, pay everything that is due, otherwise we will start picking things. The government did not do that. They called us for a meeting. They wanted to set up a technical committee to again go and look into how government will pay. We say we are not the ones. You are the issuer. You have taken our money. We don't manage your budget for you. You should tell us how you are going to pay, not we coming to tell so you. So right now, where you are at is that your bonds have matured. Yes. Government is not paying you. Yes, so when you so when you go to the finance ministry, all you are saying is that give us our money. Something. Now we have Th- that's what you are asking yes, for. Five uh, coupons. All of them not retired yet. Not paid. It used to be more, but when we started picketing, the, it reduced. The, 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 the and you are also certain that the government doesn't have money, so you are saying the government should go and borrow from to pay you back your market, money. That's all. And pay you back MPS. your money. The, Even the, though the, that the government debts would go up. You see, the IMF uh, debt uh, uh, ceiling or debt ratio uh, to GDP, they didn't say attain it today. You can borrow from the treasury bill market to to pay all these things. Going forward, when you normalize things, you can still work within and bring your debt uh, level to uh, meet that uh, target. It's not as if they say meet the target today. It's IMF saying that don't just go and borrow anything at all to come and pay. And of course, apart from the principal, which when you borrow to pay, you may increase their debt level a bit. For the, the 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 apart from the coupon that will increase your debt mm. level. for the the principal if you borrow to pay you don't increase your debt level mm. you owe two million then you go and borrow five hundred thousand to pay off some five hundred thousand you still owe you two still, million you still owe, yeah. so why would government it's just that there's a new just, de- there's a, a new new, new debtor debt, a new debtor but your debt level is the same so I can't understand why government is not borrowing from the treasury bill market to pay. The principal. And you are saying that the consequence of this non-payment is really troubling. I mean, just yesterday I received a message from Facebook, someone desperately wanting your number, who said that she she she's retired and she needs your help because she's also in this mess. Yes. You're saying that people are suffering? Yes. What kind of things people are people going through? People need that money for... You know, yesterday I was going to... Two days ago, I was going home when I met a very senior uh, lawyer who is now old and uh, unable to, you know, he was doing some exercise mm. as well. And these are the people, if you meet people like that, who have toiled and, and, and saved for their lives, and at some point you depend solely on your medication, 
if your medicine is not there with you, you are gone. You are gone. And this is the money you used to this buy that. This is the money you use. And you that's know, why it was it saved. Is great. You see, when you are praying that God should help you to give you a long life, you have to plan to meet that long life. Because if you have a long life, it comes with these pains, sickness. And this is the money you need. And people have started rationing their own medication. Because if the money is not coming, and you are supposed to take every, every day, you have to take one. You imagine people say, well, then I will take it every two days or every three days. And your, level, your, your, your sickness level will go rise. And that will lead you to your, your, your grave. We have to go, but I'm just giving you 30 minutes, um, 30 seconds to talk to you. I don't know whether you want to talk to the finance minister or the president. The finance minister is the, 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 the principal man. Mm, so speak to we him. We would assume that the president even doesn't... He's not, a he's not involved. Man. He's not involved. Mm, it's you mm. who is a professional and you have been charged. Mm, mm. Please borrow from the treasury bill market and pay off. You will increase your debt level a bit, but it is better. And I, I always say that when we were in COVID time, Nana said, the president said, look, you can't bring back people who die. They can bring back the economy. the economy. No, the economy borrow, is dying. Yes, and borrow from the treasury bill, <laughs> and bring increase back the your economy. debt levels more, and, and pay these uh, uh, vulnerable groups, uh, pensioners, and let them live. Because if you starve them of their own money, and they don't get the money to buy their medication and they die, you can't bring them back. But if we raise the debt level a bit, we can still resolve the debt level, as Nana said. Thank you, and wish you all the best. That's Dr. Anna Nietzsche. He's with the Pensioner Bondholders Forum. So you go back to the picketing yes, tomorrow? tomorrow? Yes, But the minister said come and meet them. Yes, while we are there, we'll go and meet, uh, go and meet. the minister. Yes. So it's Aluta Continua. Yes. Wish you all the best, sir. Thank you. My name is Omaru Sandama. The production by Beverly London and Kwabna Wells. Technical support from Daniel Squashy. New media support from Edwin Kwakofi. Eyewitness News returns tomorrow at 17.30 GMT. But up next is Sister Sister. Do tune in. Good night. City News. We speak first. Reach our hotline on 0302-224959. And get interactive on Facebook, City 97.3 FM, and on Twitter at City 973.